Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. You know, there have been studies done whenever there's a community that has very aged people. So, for example, in Japan, there was a, a group of islands called the Okinawa region, which was a poor region, wasn't very prosperous, but the people there lived very, very old. They had an unusual number of people who were over 100 years old. And so scientists went in there and they did a study and they looked at what they eat and how they live and their lifestyle and all the different factors because they wanted to understand what is it about Okinawa, Japan, that makes it special, that makes people live longer. Why? Because they wanted to export that to the rest of the world. And not just Okinawa, but Japan in general lives longer than most. And so they've done studies, 15-year studies, shorter studies, longer studies, studying every aspect of that region to say what makes the people so healthy and how do they live so long. Now that study has all sorts of results. They found that in some regions, the people were so poor that they were starving. They weren't eating enough, and funnily enough, weirdly enough, when you starve yourself, you live longer, but you're not a happy person living longer. You just have a longer, sadder life. But the reality is some people, if they starve themselves, live longer. In other places, they found it was a healthy diet, and there were all these different factors, and it's not just there. There, there have been places in Italy and Greece and various other parts of Europe and various parts of the world where they say there's something about that community that we need to analyze. Let's take it apart and, and try and dissect it and say, what is it about that community? And let's copy them. And I want to say that there is a community called the church in Philippi that the Bible says was the most joyful church and community in the whole of the Bible. The word for joy or rejoice appears 15 times in four short chapters in the book of Philippians. And whenever that church is referred to in other places of the Bible, in the book of Acts and in Corinthians and various other places, they talk about the Philippian church. Sometimes they call them the Macedonian church. It's the same place. Whenever they speak about them, this word joy or cheerfulness or rejoicing comes up. It was the most joyful place. And what we want to do in the next few weeks is analyze this church. We want to put it under a microscope. We want to try and imagine the faces of Lydia and all the Clement and all the different people, Euodia, Syntyche, all these people in Philippi. We want to imagine them. We want to see what was their lifestyle like. How did they pray? How did they relate to one another? What hardships did they have? How did they overcome them? What did they do so that we can copy them and become a community of joy. I want joy. Do you? You know, if there was a pill that people could sell that said you will get happiness and joy for the rest of your life, it would be the best seller. There are pills, by the way, <laughs> that you can buy. But you know what they give you? They give you temporary relief, and when you come off the high from that pill, whether it's an illegal substance or a legal substance, when you come down from it, the problems and the sadness are still there. But the joy that God gives lasts forever. I want it. 
We want it. And I want to tell you that the way God's word works is he reveals all the details of a person's life or a community's life so that we can learn from them. I was talking to someone recently and they were saying, when I read about all these amazing people and churches and, and testimonies, I feel so inferior because they have miracles all the time and they hear God speaking so clearly and it seems like their life is on a different spiritual plane and they're walking on spiritual clouds all the time. And we discussed it for a bit and we came to the conclusion that in the modern world, when you hear somebody's story or when you look at somebody's Instagram or Facebook page, you're seeing the highlights of their life. You're seeing their photos touched up and made beautiful and you don't see when that mobile phone gets put away and the tears start rolling down because people don't share that. But I want to tell you that God's word is the ultimate in sharing the truth. He shows us the good and the bad so that we really can learn. We're told that God's word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that we can be fully equipped, thoroughly ready to live God's life that he wants us to live. And so I'm so excited because when we look at the story of the Philippian church, I am fully convinced that we can get the joy that they had. Are, are you in? It's going to be helpful. But it may be surprising. It may surprise you to see how this church operated. The second part of the series, it's called Overflowing Joy, but the subtitle underneath is The Little Church That Changed the World. And we're going to see over the coming weeks that this tiny community, let me read you one verse that talks about them. It's in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2. It's talking about the Macedonian or the Philippian church and it says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This is Paul talking about this Philippian church to a different church. He's writing to the Corinthians who live in another part of the world and he's telling, he's, he's sharing with them about the Philippians and he says their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And again and again, Paul says that the Philippian church, and I want you to realize Philippi was not a major center it wasn't, it wasn't what we would have thought of as being the main church that helped Paul. There were many greater churches with more resources and more opportunity. They weren't in a little backwater right up in the north. There were many churches that we would have thought were Paul's main helper church. But again and again, he says the Philippians are his partners in the gospel. In other words, if Paul had had a business card... Wherever he went to a new city or a new church, he would have said, Hi, I'm Paul. This is who I am. And on the bottom, it would have said, uh, in partnership with the Philippian church. They were, he always said, the Philippians are my partners in the gospel. This tiny little church that is an unexpected hero in the Bible were Paul's partners. And he says it again and again in Philippians 1, verse 6. He says, I thank my God for your partnership in the gospel from the beginning until now. 
And then later in Philippians 4, he says, when I first left you and went to the next town, Thessalonica, he says, you sent help to me again and again. He says, you sent people to me, Epaphroditus and Clement and various others. He said, people have come. He says, your prayers have helped me. Five years later, he writes to the Corinthians. He says that the Philippians have sent me help again. And then 10 years after he first visited Philippi, Paul says, I've received your gift. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. This church changed the world. Paul could not have done what he did. You know, we lift up the hero Paul, and rightly so. He did amazing things. He, he spread the gospel through the whole known world, but it wasn't on his own. He's got this little phrase, fellow workers. He uses it scattered throughout his letters. He says, so-and-so is my fellow worker. So-and-so is my fellow worker. So-and-so is, and he, what he was saying is, I'm part of a team. I may be the spokesman, but I'm not doing this on my own. Priscilla and Aquila go for over a year into a city, Ephesus, before Paul even arrives, set up a tent-making business, get a few disciples together. They do great things, and when Paul comes, there's a platform for him to start the church. And the Philippians were part of Paul's team of fellow workers, and they are the heroes of the faith. So, what I want to do today is just look at uh, a few of the surprising things that made this church what it was. In future weeks, we're going to look more at different aspects of the book of Philippians. It's four chapters long, and we're going to go through the whole book, but we're not going to go verse by verse or chapter by chapter. We're going to take topics. So, for example, one week we may speak about how the people related to one another and to the outside world, and another week we may talk about how they prayed and, and got through hardship and stress. Um, on another week, we may talk about different things, their vision and their purpose, um, just a whole lot of different aspects. But today, I want to talk about how they began, and it's going to help you because we, again, we're comparing ourselves to the Philippian church. So the story is in Acts chapter 16. If you have a Bible, please read there because we're not going to put all the verses on the screen. There's just too many. So Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to start with verse 6. Going quite quickly, so follow with me and use this amazing imagination that God has given you to imagine this story. Now when they had gone through Phrygia, this is talking about Paul and his helpers, Silas and Timothy and a few others. When they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So Paul's going along, yes, we've got to spread the gospel, let's go to Asia, and God says, nope, roadblock. Verse 7, after they'd come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Hey guys, okay, Asia's off the, off the, the plan, but Bithynia, that's the big, uh-oh, no, God says no. Have you ever been there? I thought God was saying this, and then I was sure he was saying this, and neither of them was right, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, remember Macedonia and Philippi are the same place. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. How did he know it was a man of Macedonia? It must have been his features, his language, and his dress. He could tell this is a person from Macedonia. And this man was saying, come, 
help us. So, after, we had seen, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. This is the first time Luke uses the word we in the book of Acts. In other words, this is where Luke joined Paul. You know Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke? This is where he and Paul got together. From now on, he says, we, 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 we. Up before, now he says, they, 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 they. So Luke is now part of the team. After he had seen the vision, we sought to go down to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. They sailed 156 miles across the sea. These are not short journeys. These are long journeys, and the wind was behind them. It took them a couple of days, and they got there, which shows they were going quite fast. And from there we came to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. So it's part of the Roman Empire, but we're going to see that there were hardly any Jewish people there. Normally Paul went to a city where there were Jewish people, and he went to the synagogue, and he tried to explain to Jewish people because they understood the Old Testament. But here in Philippi, there just were no Jewish people. There wasn't a synagogue. You needed 10 men to form a synagogue, 10 Jewish men. There weren't even 10 Jewish men in the whole city of Philippi. So he's in, in a new area with unfamiliar people. There's Greeks and Romans there. Um, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city, out of the city, to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So basically, they couldn't find a synagogue, so they're saying, well, where would people go to pray? We've got to find people who at least are looking for God, and they realize that there's a place down by a river where people go and they pray together. Let's go there. They go there. There's only women there. Now Paul and Luke are scratching their heads saying, we saw a man from Macedonia. Are we in the wrong place? What's going on? Well, we know we're supposed to preach the gospel, so let's preach. A certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So God opens her heart. He's speaking, and out of all the women there, one of them, Lydia, wow, the lights go on, and she sees this is the truth. This is what God is saying. And when she and her household were baptized, I want to just emphasize those two words, household and baptized, because you're going to see throughout the story that whenever a person got saved, their household got saved. And whenever a person got saved, they got baptized. She and her household were baptized. She begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. This is the beginning of this tiny church that's full of joy and that's changing the world. It starts with one little lady hearing the gospel next to a river, not in a big campaign, not on a glitzy stage, next to a river. God's word penetrates the heart of one woman and the, the, the beginning of something that is awesome has just happened. Verse 16, now it happened. Now this is the ups and downs of church planting. Sometimes there are ups. Bronnie and I, when we started this church, 
sat on a bench at the Bridge Counseling Center up in St. Saviour. And there were two ladies, the, the Lydias of Jersey, Dawn and Brenda, whose heart the Lord opened and they helped us get this church going. But there's ups and downs. And I want to show you that the church that Paul thought was his greatest help, there were, there were problems there as well. Verse 16, now it happened. As we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed. <laughs> you know, we sometimes think that church life and church leadership is all just joy and peace. I want to tell you, there are times when you're trying to do something for God when you get greatly annoyed. And Paul, <laughs> greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. So they're using the race card. They're saying he's a foreigner. He's a Jewish foreigner. He's troubling our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. They turned the tide of public opinion against them. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Can you imagine the anguish in Paul's heart? And when they had laid many stripes on them, that means they bludgeoned them with a, with a stick. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now we're going to see that God uses this and turns this for good. And actually the jailer, the man who's holding them in prison, becomes a Christian and his whole household gets saved. And there's exceeding joy. That word joy comes out again in this story. But I want to just stay in the tension of the bad moment for a little bit. Let's put it in modern terms. Little old Joe goes into West Wales, Southwest Wales, to try and start a church. And some people hear his message and come along. But one little girl keeps coming to their meetings for many days. She's faithful at every meeting. And she keeps saying, these people are speaking the truth about God and the way to salvation. But she's inspired by a mixed motive. She wants money. It says that her masters used this girl's gift of demonic prophecy to get money out of her she wants money and the devil is using her to try and wheedle her way in and for many days she keeps coming to the meetings keeps on faithfully being there every time the meeting happens she's there and she's saying all the right things but after many days joe the church planter realizes this girl is not changing that's the key you see, 
when, you, when you're trying to do something for the Lord, you have to welcome anyone who wants to come. But over time, you'll see if God is changing someone's heart or not. And if someone is not changing from the first moment they came to several months or weeks down the line, you have to say, there's something wrong here. They've come for another reason. And Paul got greatly annoyed and he confronted the spirit and her. I just want to say that in the New King James, it, said, it says she was possessed by a spirit, but that's not actually correct. Every other translation says she had a spirit. Possessed means controlled by, but the Bible never, ever, anywhere says that demons control people. It says that they have a spirit. It's a bit like I have a cold. I don't have a cold, but if I had a cold, I would say I have a cold. The cold doesn't control me or own me. It's just afflicted me for a bit. And at various stages of affliction, we see some people who are mildly afflicted or temporarily afflicted. So Peter, the apostle, comes to Jesus just before Jesus, um, well, a, a while before Jesus goes to the cross. And, and Peter says, no, Lord, that's not right. You mustn't go. And Jesus says, how have you let Satan enter your heart? He wasn't possessed. Peter wasn't possessed, but he'd been influenced, afflicted by a cold of a demonic thought for a bit. In Ephesians 6, we heard last week, it says we wrestle against demonic forces. It's like we, we're all the time wrestling against infections of sickness of demonic ideas that want to get us. And some of us let them come in a little bit. Some of us let them come in a lot. But even a person, you know, the most demonized person in the Bible was the Gadarene demoniac. Jesus arrived on the shore of a place called Gadara, and there was a man there who was, he had a legion, which means over a thousand demons in him, and he lived amongst the tombs, and he would cut himself, and he lived naked. Have you ever seen people like that? I've seen them. They walk around the street, they're unkempt and dirty, they cut themselves, they're naked, and you say, wow. That person must be possessed by a demon. That demon must be controlling them. But you know what the Bible says? That man, out of his own will, could still come and kneel down at Jesus' feet and ask for help. Because there's no demon or no thousands of demons that can control a person. It's just how sick we've allowed ourselves to get. And every one of us, Ephesians 6, is wrestling against this. It's not like there's some really evil people and some really pure people. All of us are living in an environment of germs, and it's just whether you let the lies of the devil get in. And this girl, it says, had allowed the spirit to come in and give her the ability to tell prophetic things. And it says it was a spirit of divination, but the actual Greek says a python spirit. A python spirit. And it mentions this several places in the Bible. It's a, a snake, a, a coiled up snake spirit. And I want to say that many people in the West are involved in occult things. And the, the occult teaching clearly says there is a snake coiled up at the base of your spine. And you must let it have its way. And that is an evil thing. It says there's a snake coiled up at the base of your spine. And it's not good. But it's not like there's some evil people and some pure. We're all in this war and the devil's trying to put lies in us. And this young slave girl, Paul let her come for many days to all the meetings. And she was saying all the right things. But eventually he said, you must change. You must give your life to Jesus. 
and she wouldn't have it and so he had to cast the demon out and I think she left because the the masters got so angry that it caused a public stir and Paul got beaten and Silas got beaten and they put in chains and they put in prison and we say to ourselves this doesn't sound like the perfect church which is going to change the world and is going to overflow with joy but I want to say that in every great thing that God does there is a lack of clarity of guidance <laughs> Paul says Asia is the thing no no Bithynia is the thing no no Troas is the thing. No, no. There's a man in Macedonia. No, it's just a bunch of women. It's not clear guidance. And there is opposition. But that doesn't mean it's not God. It means it is God. <laughs> you know, John Wesley, the great preacher, he was riding on his horse one day. He rode thousands of miles to preach the gospel to the whole of England and many other parts of the world. He came to Jersey, started 40 churches in Jersey. Isn't that amazing? He's riding along one day, John Wesley, and he suddenly has a thought, no one has thrown a stone or an egg at me for three days. He gets off his horse, he kneels down, he says, Lord, have I backslidden? Have I missed the truth? Why is nobody hating me? And he's praying out loud, and there's a man behind the hedge who John Wesley can't see, who hears him praising, praying, picks up a stone and throws it at him. And John Wesley says, praise the Lord, I'm fine, and he gets back on his horse. <laughs> Opposition, confusion. We live in a world of germs, people. It's not a sign that we're on the wrong track, it's a sign we are doing the right thing because the enemy will attack us whenever there's all those different problems. And I can honestly say, after being involved in numerous, many church plants, it never goes smoothly. It's never the highlight reel. It's always a battle, but it's worth it. If we're doing a study, like in Okinawa, Japan, we have to be honest and look at what really happened. And we need to say, if I want the joy of the Lord, it's not always a smooth, easy ride. It comes by doing what God wants in God's way, and there will be opposition and confusion. If you're confused about your guidance, you're in good company. Paul and Timothy and Silas didn't have a clue where they were going. If you're experiencing opposition in what God is trying to do in your life, you're in good company. Paul and them had great opposition. But now we read on. Verse 25. But at midnight... Paul and Silas. So I'm now going to show you there are two things that are certain. Many things are uncertain. The opposition, the guidance, many things are unclear. But two things are clear. If we preach God's word and if we praise him with all of our hearts, we will become the church like Philippi. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You know, the world listens the most when you are being crunched by circumstances. When you're a Christian and everything's wonderful, the world says, oh, whatever. But when they see you getting fired at work or being persecuted or, or going through a sickness and they're watching you to see how will you react, the prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, we're all here. So midnight, praise and worship session. Paul and Silas, if we praise and worship, it doesn't matter what confusion or what opposition we're going through, God's kingdom breaks through. And that's why I love what's happening in our church at the moment. When we're praising and worshiping, people are getting healed. When we praise and worship, it's one thing we can be certain of. We are becoming the, the Okinawa of the spiritual world. And the chains are loosed. God's kingdom breaks in. And even people who are not believers start getting their chains, getting set free. It's an amazing thing. Even people who are just in our vicinity get saved because we are praising God. So Paul says, do yourself no harm. And he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, this is the difference between the slave girl who never changes and a person who's genuine is they say, what must I change? How must I change? How do I respond? Change me. All the old is out. I'm willing to change, God. I'm not holding on to my old life. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Claim that promise, friends. Claim that promise for yourself. Say, when I get saved, my household gets affected. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Praise and worship and the word of God create this church. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. He starts to, to wash them of all the beatings that he'd inflicted on them. It's an amazing story. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Friends, there are many things the world says will bring you joy. But I want to tell you they are temporary and they are deceptive. But the praise of God and the word of God will produce this joy. Paul and Silas in the midst of a prison with wounds and shackles were full of joy. The jailer who was full of guilt for beating them so badly received, was baptized, he was full of joy. God wants to give us what he gave this church. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.